0: Hello, it's Vikas Porta, chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Thank you all so much for coming. Uh, I am honored to be able to share some information about myself, um, but specifically about the movement that we have underway in Haiti called Ense Bwaieti. I will share a few slides. Hopefully, the the images are bright enough for you all to capture. And if there's anything that's too small, I will be happy to read it. So, in 1804. The independence of a republic in the Western hemisphere shocked the world. From 1791 to 1804, this revolution of enslaved people came together in a powerful example of collective leadership and collective action to break off the chains of slavery. To do so, they had to fight and win against the most powerful colonial force of the era, which was the French army. So IET gained its independence in 1804, meaning I am the proud daughter of the world's first black republic. This was the first and only successful slave revolt resulting in the independence of a republic in world history. That means we are a people defined by liberation. So 215 years ago, Haiti became a global leader and a global example. Interestingly, there are many who draw direct ties between the Haitian Revolution and the decolonization of an entire hemisphere. There's also many who understand that the inception of the Haitian Revolution was directly linked to the fight of the American Revolution, including Haitian soldiers who fought in the American Revolution, the founding of Chicago, and the Louisiana Purchase. Interestingly, there's also many scholars who've drawn links between the Haitian Revolution and the evolution of Black Lives Matter. But for the purposes of our time here this afternoon, I want to draw attention to the fact that very soon after the Haitian Revolution, we proclaim that education is a human right. This was in our earliest constitution of 1806. Talk about revolutionary right, one of the first nations on earth to say that education should be available and free to all. Unfortunately, you fast forward to today, and we operate in a landscape of disparities. Our education system in Haiti is truly in crisis. To give you some ideas and some statistics, about 30% of our students are going to complete primary school, and only 1% will get to university. 80% 80% of our primary school teachers are not formally trained to do their job well. So I can go on and on. The statistics are quite bleak, right? If I kept going, I could talk about teacher pay, I could talk about school infrastructure, I could talk about the curriculum. At the end of the day, we know that the, pay, the picture is quite bleak, and unfortunately, we're among the worst outcomes in education in the Western Hemisphere. But what I think is actually more important is how did we get here? Right? From a nation that in 1806 proclaimed that education is a human right and then fast forward to today where we're operating within this landscape of disparity, how did we get here? Especially when you consider that not too long ago in the 1950s and 60s, not many people understand this or know it, many of our teachers were so revered and so respected They were exported to French-speaking African nations like Senegal and Cote d'Ivoire to become the trainers of other teachers. So again, what happened? The question I'd like to throw out to you today is what if our education system is not broken? What if the education system is doing exactly what it was designed to do? And that is exactly what is happening. Our education system in Haiti is one of the most enduring vestiges of our colonial past. To know our history in Haiti, means to know exactly why the inequity still exists today. One of the things that i like to say is that history is today. If you know history, you know exactly why certain systems are set up in the way that they are today. So even though education was enshrined as a human right as early as 1806, what I'd like to share with you is that over the last two centuries, Education, and more specifically the classroom, has become the battleground for Haitian agency, identity, and conscience. What we know for sure is that collective leadership and collective action is exactly where we create and preserve our power in Haiti. Unfortunately, there have been many internal and external forces that have been at play and that have infiltrated our education system to say that we will destroy the foundation of collective action even before it begins. We will infiltrate the classroom so that even before collective action can be created, it is destroyed. So what we know for sure is that the ways our education system exists today has disintegrated the who of who can create justice and equity. What we know is that our education system today is operating exactly as it was designed to do. It creates the atomization of our people. Instead of collective action, our classroom creates atomization. It separates us from a common cause and perpetuates the exploitation and distrust among Haitians. While at one point our classroom was the site where citizenship and liberation can be created, Today, everything related to rigor, high expectations, and citizenship has been stripped from our education system. And so what we know in our context is that there is power when people come together. We have only ever been successful as a people with collective action. That dates back to the Haitian Revolution, but in many moments since. And usually that's in a grassroots and community-oriented way. It's not top-down. It's not with one person or one charismatic president that leads and dictates the needs of many. And so that's why I am so interested in the theme of this year's forum. I am so interested in this question that we are asking ourselves. Who is changing the world? Who is taking charge? Who is leading this work? And let me be clear, I love the fact that we're talking about change because I think as we all agree, the status quo is unacceptable. I also love the fact that we're talking about the world because we are more interconnected than we have ever been and it has just begun. But what I wanted to really point out during our time here this afternoon is who? Who is leading the change? Who is in our classroom? Who are our learners? And just as importantly, who has been left out of the conversation and who has been overlooked? Who will lead the next cultural revolution? In my context, who will lead the next education transformation of our mighty nation? So what I am also grateful for is that I was raised to believe that I can never forget where I came from. That is because of what my parents instilled in me Wetnik and gislen that no matter where you go, if you remember where you came from, that is the beginning of your power. I'll share this quote from Paulo Freire, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with out of Brazil, who said, looking at the past must only be a means of understanding more clearly what and who we are so that we can more wisely build the future. And so to know where I come from means rooting myself in my history, and rooting myself in the social movements of Haiti's past. Because as I mentioned before, we've only ever been successful based on people-centered social movements. And I'll specifically say that it's people-centered, human-centered, who-centered movements that have literally pushed us forward as a nation. And that's specifically because we consider people as assets, not as broken, not as flawed, but knowing that when people come together, they literally provide the engine towards forward progress. And so as a lifelong educator, I am so honored to be here today. This is quite the experience, right? Like even the space, like even all the things that are happening in the different breakout rooms. Um, And one of the things that I love is that we're coming together to ask the question, what will it take for education and skills to provide all kids what they need to operate in the 21st century And believe it or not, very soon we have to ask the 22nd century very too. But as educators, one of the things I want to point out, and I will count myself among this, is that the urgency of need we feel in our different contexts, the level of deep scarcity, sometimes creates a very deep deficit mindset. So we diagnose, we fix, we problem solve. And in doing so, I want to share with you that I think sometimes we forget that there are assets that need to be leveraged that already exist in our communities. Sometimes as educators, I think sometimes we even get in the way of the solution bearers who can help us really create the system change that our kids deserve. Sometimes we're thinking about system change, but we forget to invest in the very human beings that can get us to where we want to go. So I'd like to share a definition with you all today. Solution bearers for me are those who have firsthand experience in the inequity that we seek to dismantle. They are the ones who have experienced the inequity and in my opinion should be the ones leading the movement to end it. Unfortunately, we have sidelined many of these solution bearers, right? We've subscribed to this notion that says that these solution bearers are not well equipped, are not well prepared, are not well educated enough to lead their own liberation. And that is false. We cannot allow inequitable systems to define who has value. Let me give you an example that's very concrete from Haiti, from my country. As I mentioned before, only about 1% of Haitian students unfortunately will get to university. So what signal are we sending to the 99% when we say that it takes a university degree to be part of leadership programming? What signal are we sending when we say that it's the 99% who are not eligible to participate in leadership programs because they're not part of the best and brightest? For many of you who know me, that phrase, I'm not a fan. (laughs) Because what we know is that there's reasons why people have been marginalized and exploited. There are systems of inequity from the past and from today who have pushed the 99% to the periphery. And so in asking the who question, I think what we have to realize is that there is a benefit to the status quo to push people to the periphery. There is a benefit to the status quo as labeling certain people as inferior. And there's also a benefit to the status quo to peddle and promote this illusion of meritocracy when the systems that exist do not promote actual meritocracy. And so I wonder, is there a way in all of our countries to shine a spotlight on the solution bearers? Is there a way for us to dismantle the inequitable systems that push these solution bearers to the periphery? And let me be clear, I am not ignoring the power of technology, curriculum, and data. But what I am pushing us all to consider is, in whose hands are these tools going? Would it be possible that these tools, technology, curriculum, data, could truly unleash the greatness and excellence that kids deserve in the hands of our solution bearers? Another important question that I would love to ask, and I'll read this quote in case it's a little small for you all in a bit is how are we complicit in driving the systems of inequity and oppression that have pushed solution-bearers to the periphery? And when I say complicit, the complicity has deep roots and it creates the behaviors and policies and institutional practices that, again, do not allow people to stand in their own power. As Michael Nevradadis said, the problem with the neocolonized mentality is that we begin to believe the lies that have been told by the colonizer. That we would have no hope if it were not for a more developed, more powerful entity. This exists all over education today, and I don't think I'm talking only for Haiti. Let me give you a concrete example. We all believe, I, I think, in the power of mother tongue instruction, right? In the fact that it needs to happen and be embedded. The, the maternal language of our students and our learners, it must be embedded in the curriculum. But why does mother tongue not exist in the places where policy decisions are taking place? Why are we not allowed to operate with our mother tongue in the policy and decision-making circles? If we truly value mother tongue, why is its place restricted within the four walls of a classroom? And so I wanna share an example of Emmanuel Alexandre. He is a solution-bearer in Haiti. Emmanuel was born and raised in the rural community of Guamon, and he looked up to his teachers. Despite neglect, despite economic poverty, he knew that the role models of his community, the people that would make his community great, were the teachers. So he aspired to become a teacher. He knew that he wanted to stand in front of a classroom of students that another generation of kids would not have to live through the same discrimination and economic inequity that he had faced as a child. Fast forward 20 years and Emmanuel did just that. He was leading classrooms of sixth graders to a point where they were passing on time and on grade level compared to the 30% of their peers that were passing only at 30% rates. He was getting to 100% passing rates of his sixth grade students. What I would like to share with you is that Emmanuel is a solution bearer because he knew that his responsibility was so much more than academics. He understood that he was equipping his students for citizenship. And so what he did is he integrated Haitian proverbs into teaching reading, Haitian folklore into the study of history. He was acknowledging their humanity in ways that he could do because Emmanuel was his students. They were sitting in the same seats that he sat when he was 1st through 6th grade. And so, one of the things that I'd like to share with you is that there is a fierce and inherent urgency in fighting for your home. There is a fierce and inherent urgency that comes with lived experience. So now, as a teacher coach with Emmanuel is equipping dozens of teachers in his home in Guomon to do that same work and to push for the liberation of his students. Let me be clear once more because I don't want you to remember Emmanuel with the wrong conception in your heads. We did not empower Emmanuel. He is empowered. We were just unleashing the greatness that he was born to use. Aseipuayiti today is made up of thousands of Emmanuels. At LCAP we have taken to heart this question of who. This is the core of our human-centered movement for educational justice in Haiti. For four years before we launched the organization in this movement, what we decided to do was immerse ourselves in listening. Listening to community centers who would tell us exactly what their desires and assets were. And the thing that we decided to do is not go to one teacher in one community speak to them, and then check a box and say, I got it, I understand where you come from, I know your needs. What we wanted to do was speak with hundreds of people. Because to truly listen is messy. <laughs> to truly listen takes time. And so we took the time to speak with matriarchs and patriarchs, mothers and fathers, girls and boys, even those really cynical that this change could ever really take place. And their wisdom is the foundation of the Unseep Waititi movement today. So today, Ase T works with communities across our mighty nation to create a network of civic leaders who build an equitable education system based on shared history, values, and vision. We recruit local teachers in existing rural primary schools and equip them with the resources they need to be exceptional, instructional, and community leaders. Because what we know, as I shared at the beginning of my talk, is that the classroom is the springboard for what we want to happen in our society. As we say at Anse Pua'i the classroom is our unit of execution, but the community is our unit of change. And what we know is that there must be a link between the classroom and the community, and our solution-bearers know how to do this best. I don't think it comes as any surprise to you all that there's a direct link between what happens in the classroom and social outcomes. Let me share a couple of stats with you all that blow me away every time I think about it. A child whose mother can read has 50% more likelihood to live past the age of 5 and twice as likely to go to school. One extra year of schooling increases an individual's earnings by 10%. These are all global statistics and averages pulled from the Global Partnership of Education. And last but not least, every year of education reduces the conflict, the risk of conflict, by 20 percent. Like, these are actual realities that are facing our today and our tomorrow. But if we do not link the classroom with the community, this will not help us move forward as an entire global community. And so, at Anseepuayiti, we know that we must reclaim the community as our source of power. But to do this, we got to operate at the ground floor of the classroom. And what is extremely important to this is who is at the table. Who is in front of our learners, and are they the solution bearers who've experienced the educational inequity? Many of our education initiatives in Haiti have pushed for immediate scale, but that's not what we seek to do at YET. We instead are focused on going deep, deep into the relationships it takes to truly understand and unleash the power that exists within our communities. For us at anse pour Haïti, scale is depth. There's a powerful saying for many Haitians in the room, I see a couple, that comes from one of our, hey, that comes from one of our revolutionary heroes, Toussaint Louverture, who was captured by the French before the revolution came to an end. And what he said, this is Toussaint Louverture, and whose wisdom, I think, flows in this idea that we gotta go deep. He said that in overthrowing me, the general of our army, you might have cut down the trunk of the tree of liberty, but the roots are deep and they will regrow because they are mighty and they are prosperous. Right? This is the seeds that we need to plant together that comes from our communities. That is to say, that is not me. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to share that stems from our belief in collective action is that we need to have a mixed cohort for the leadership programming that we do with teachers. And so what we've decided is that, yes, we need incredibly fresh new talent into the profession, but there's also existing teachers who are assets. And so every year, at least 50 to 60% of our cohort have had five to 10 years of experience, and their assets are part of the solution. The other thing that we know is that proximity to the problem is proximity to the solution. I'll say that again, proximity to the problem is proximity to the solution. And so every year, over 80% of our cohort comes from within the communities. They are the Emmanuels that understand the challenges of this problem better than anyone ever could. There is fierce urgency in doing this work in Haiti because 43% of our population is under 15 years old. I know many of you here can resonate and can um, Understand the importance and the urgency of this work given the population age of where you live and in Haiti We also have over 70% GDP growth from 2006 to 2016 and within a couple of years less than a year actually We will be the largest Caribbean nation and so what we know is that for us to truly succeed collectively We have to prioritize the who who is in the classroom and who is being unleashed to stand in their greatness And what we're so grateful is that in the first five years of ASEPU IET, we're starting to see the fruits of this solution. In our first five years, we've reached five rural communities and 65 rural primary schools, and worked with over 7,000 students. In the last two years alone, over 85% of our students have graduated on time and on grade level. That's almost three times the rural average. That is because of our solution bearers the thing is that they understand their role better than anyone can. They know that their role extends beyond academics and beyond the four walls of their classroom. Just like Emmanuel, who I shared with you earlier, who understood that education is liberation, they understand that the work that they do must come from their lived experience. I'm so excited to share with you all that because of the example of our solution bearers, we've decided to expand our programming as of 2019 to include a parent cohort and to include include fellowship programming with school leaders. This cannot be about the teacher in the classroom anymore. They are the civic leaders we need, but they also need the interconnection with parents, school leaders, students, of course, and everyone who has a role to play in the solution. So this is the work of Anse Pua'aiti. We're going from brain drain to combit, which is our version of community gathering. We're going from inside out, from outside in to inside out. And we're going from rescue myths, this idea, this lie that we need to be rescued, to radical hope. Because at the end of the day, at Anse Pua'aiti, we know that we are the 20,000 civic leaders for the four million children of Haiti. We know that we need to keep looking inward to push forward and restore IET to its rightful place of global leader once again. The time is now, thank you so much. So I was told to leave a few minutes, I have about seven, six uh, for questions. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Um, and I would love to hear if there's any questions. I'm happy to answer. Hi, thank you so very much. Uh, I came a bit late. By the way, my name is Emmanuel from Haiti. Not the Emmanuel in the, in the slide. <laughs> uh, uh, just a quick question. I, I, um, I, I'm interested to know how you've tackled the uh, dichotomy between Haitian, Creole, and French in Haiti, and how did you overcome those challenges? Because you did speak about mother tongue, how not, it's not being used per se, and I know very well the case of Haiti, Haitian Creole versus French, and I'd like to know how Enseigne pour Haiti has tackled that uh, Thank issue. Thank you, Emmanuel. So we believe, as I think all the research has shown, that effective pedagogy, effective teaching and learning must happen in mother tongue. Unfortunately, we've inherited a French-integrated system that still prioritizes French. All of the exams in Haiti, all of the documents, all the textbooks are still in French. At Anse yt we've even named ourselves a Haitian Coyol for a reason. And so everything we do starts with mother tongue. Everything we do. We teach from K through six, primary school in our context. But what we have done is taken the policy that exists and made it real. One of the challenges is that so often policies are not created by educators and so they never truly get implemented. And so since 1986, in the books, they've said that mother tongue should be implemented in the classroom. We're making it real with our movement. And so everything our teachers do starts with creole. We have not ignored the importance of foreign language, right? We actually have two foreign languages in Haiti. But what's so important is that it must start in creole. I'll add a final detail to that answer, Emmanuel. So many of our teachers did not grow up in a system where they had a chance to learn and write and read We know it because that's our oral language, but it's never been documented formally until the 1990s, approximately. And so has said, let us be part of the solution by also helping you learn how to read and write and fully equip yourselves to be able to teach it well. And so that's also been part of our work, is making sure that the adults, (laughs) the teachers, have a chance to learn it as it should be learned before they have a chance to teach it as well. Thank you. Any other questions? a teacher pause, just waiting. (laughs) Yes. I love hearing you speak about this. What are some of the challenges you faced as an entrepreneur starting this out? (laughs) Thank you. I don't see myself as an entrepreneur. Um, Thank you for giving me that title. Um, But I see myself as an educator. And so... There's several challenges, but I'll start with that. I couldn't figure out how to link educator and entrepreneur because the world of entrepreneurship was telling me to do one thing, but my heart as an educator was telling me to do something else. For instance, when we decided, myself and my co-founder, to take four years to listen to community members, that was my teacher's heart. The entrepreneurship sector was saying, Neigeen, hurry up, launch already. (laughs) Um, And so I think there's like deep impatience in um, working as social entrepreneurs, and in trying to And sometimes I think that leads us to skip several steps that could really root ourselves in authenticity and in the power that already exists. And so that's one part of the challenge, was reconciling the educator in me with the, I guess, entrepreneur in me. Uh, I think the other barrier and other challenge I would say that I faced is this prevailing narrative of what my nation is about. And so while I was focused on really being niche specific and really doing our work well, because kids deserve that and more, I was struggling with the fact that as much as you can show data and proof and evidence of our history and our exceptional future that is to come in Haiti, every time I would speak about Haiti, I would be confronted with the same words. And I shared this yesterday with some of you. Poverty, earthquake, corruption. Like Those were the same words that were coming back to me, right? And so honestly, the challenge became an opportunity. We realized that our movement cannot just be about civic leadership and educational transformation. We know that we can be part of this work to change the narrative of our nation. And so any chance I get, I am so humbled to raise the Haitian flag and maybe include a little history lesson in what I share, because that was intentional. That was a way for that anyone who might have certain thoughts unconsciously that come to mind because of Haiti, I'm gonna take two minutes of any presentation to tell you about 1804. I'm gonna take any moment I have to tell you about our culture and our people, um, because I, I think that's part of the work. And so I'm, I'm just humbled by the challenges because they have made me, I think, root myself more strongly in my teacher identity and also given me a chance, I think, to shift certain stereotypes and certain mindsets about what our nation's all about. Thank you. Any last questions before we wrap up? I am here, let me know. Our information, I think, is on the, the app. Um, we love allyship. All of you who know me very well know that this is about a coalition of allies, whether you're Haitian, whether you're an adopted Haitian, whether you'd like to come to Haiti, whether or not you don't have a chance to come to Haiti. This is about building a coalition for change, so please join us in this movement. Thank you so much.